0: of our Advent series, uh, moving us toward Christmas Eve. The word Advent is Greek for arrival, and so on Christmas Eve, uh, we will celebrate the arrival of the birth of Jesus, the, the arrival of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and so that is what we are preparing our hearts for this month, and so uh, we're in week two of Advent. So if you remember last week, we looked at the life of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. We'll be in Luke 1 this morning, so you can turn in your Bibles and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, but Zechariah was visited by Gabriel and was told that his wife would give birth to John. Remember that this is John the Baptist, not the denomination Baptist, uh, but John the one who baptizes. And if you remember his life, he was in the wilderness baptizing people into repentance and he was preparing the way for the Messiah. And so uh, uh, what made Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were both known as righteous and obedient followers of God... What made them special, they were unlikely candidates for this honor. Do you remember what made them special? They were old. So they were old people. In fact, it says she was both old and barren. So how many of you feel old in the room today? Yeah, so uh, if you're old in the room and uh, you missed the opportunity to hear the message last week, there is hope for you. All right, so so go back and listen to last week. But know this: uh, Elevation pinned this phrase. I think I butchered it last week, but but here's what we need to know: It's about finishing well. And if you're not dead, God's not done. That means as long as you've got breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity for God to use you. And so God took these two unlikely candidates and vaulted them into the narrative we know as the Christmas story. We were reminded that God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish extraordinary purposes Amen. and is often activated by humble obedience. And so uh, let me just remind you, if you're later in life and your greatest stories of how God has used you are 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, and you're coasting to the finish line, know this, God's not done with you yet. And we saw through Zechariah and Elizabeth that he can use you in a significant way right up to the moment that you keel over. So don't give up hope. Finish strong. Finish strong. Was that too strong? (laughs) Keel over. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this morning, we're going to see a second visitation that Luke mentions in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel is going to visit a teenage girl named Mary and tell her that she will give birth to the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah. So here's what I found really cool about this uh, narrative. So first we see a couple at the end of their lives to get the opportunity to be a part of something God's doing. And now we're gonna see today, God's a multi-generational God. So he's an equal opportunity employer, right? So he employs these old people at the end of their life. And now he's gonna take a teenager and he is gonna use this teenager to literally change the world. And so look around the room. So we have children in the room. How many of you are under the age of 13? Raise your hand. Not emotionally, all right. How many of you are under under the age of 13? Okay. How many of you are between the ages of 13 and 18? I'll add 19 in there. Any any 19? Okay. So, all right. How many of you are in your 20s? Okay, pretty good cross-section of 20. How about 30 somethings? Any 30 somethings in the house? Big cross-section. How about 40-somethings? Okay. 50-somethings. Yeah, get a little 50-something representing. Okay. 60-somethings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and proud. <laughs> 70-somethings. <laughs> Is there any? Are there, okay. One, two, three. Love it. 80-somethings. Any 80-somethings? Come on. Any 90-somethings? Yeah, there were none at 8 o'clock either. All right. So so think about that. Man, we've got people in multi-generations here all together. And the reason I wanted you to all raise your hands is to know, you know what you all have in common? There is a calling that God has placed on your life. It's called your Ephesians 2.10 calling, right? That before the foundation of the world, God looked at you and in Christ Jesus, he is the activator of the calling. There are good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. That's good news this morning, right? You are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his poema. And again, it's multi-generational. Last week we saw Gabriel was encouraging two people at the end of their lives that their most significant role in the kingdom of God was yet to come. And today we'll see, Gabriel will let Mary know that God takes physically impossible situations and makes them completely possible. Yes, he does. In fact, we'll see in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God, nothing. So we think about the impossible to the possible. Uh, there, were, there were three people that I thought about impossible to possible. Everybody knows Beethoven, Beethoven. He wrote some of the great compositions of um, his time that we still benefit from today but what some people don't know is that he was deaf at age 26. In fact, likely his greatest works, Moonlight Sonata, Fur Elise, uh, are so many people that the only thing they can play on the piano is Fur Elise. No 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 no. Who can play that? Yeah. <laughs> Josh. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) He was deaf at age 26. In fact, he composed his ninth symphony, being deaf, composed it completely deaf. He was never able to hear the fruition of what he accomplished. And I'm sure people would say, well, that's impossible. He made it possible. Einstein, right? He's genius. When we use it today, we probably use it disparagingly, right? Way to go, Einstein, right? And yet, it's genius level, right? But I think what, what we forget is that he was autistic, he was dyslexic, he never graduated from high school. Did you know that? And we think about impossible, made possible. Ray Charles. You know who Ray Charles is? Man. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked him one of the top 10 most influential people in music of all time. Yeah. Top 10. He was blind from age seven. Very unlikely. Some would say it would be impossible for him to be able to play and compose the things that he did, and yet, possible. We, we could go on and on and think about impossible situations That became possible. And for you today, here's what I want you to know. There is literally nothing impossible in your life when Jesus is in the mix. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. So whatever is going on in your life, there is virtually no ceiling to what God can do. In every area of your life, he can take the most impossible situation, breathe, the extraordinary over it and make it a platform for his glory and for his purposes. For some of you, that's hard to believe today. And I hope before the end of this service today that you begin even to have a glimmer of hope that this could be for you. All right, so let's walk through this passage. We're gonna pick up where we left off last week in verse 26 of chapter one. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth A town in Galilee. Okay, so this is uh, Luke's way of saying, six months later, dot, dot, dot. Right, so we know that uh, uh, he is revealed to Elizabeth that she's gonna get pregnant. She and Zechariah did what husband and wife do. She's pregnant now. And now six months into her pregnancy, Gabriel gets the call to go back and proclaim another message. And he goes to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So there are a couple of things here. Number one, uh, Gabriel's got to feel pretty special. A lot of angels in heaven, but Gabriel has special favor. He gets to keep uh, announcing and giving these great proclamations to people. How cool would that be? So Gabriel gets to bring uh, these incredible announcements to people. But here's... What I was thinking when I read this, because I found out something interesting as I was studying, um, that when he gets the call, he probably said, "Wait, go to Nazareth. Nazareth. Where's Nazareth?" Nazareth. God, I'm not familiar with Nazareth. Here's why. This is the first time that Nazareth is mentioned in the Bible. Fun fact. So in the Old Testament, Nazareth is never mentioned. So Nazareth is this kind of off-the-beaten-path town, population of about 400. So during that day, the Romans had built trade routes throughout Israel, roads so that people could travel. This was not on a major road. You would have to veer off the road and probably just kind of wander off through this rocky terrain, and you would happen upon this place where these 400 people are living in relative obscurity. So think about that. God says, hey, I want you, here's the message. The Messiah is gonna be born to this uh, teenage girl. I want you to go tell her. And he's like, sweet. So go to Nazareth. And he's like, "What? where? Nazareth. And he has to draw it for him on the map probably right there. This little spot. So it's an obscure place, to say the least, which is perfect for the gospel narrative, right? Again, God doing these unlikely things, and now he's chosen uh, maybe the most obscure place in Israel to birth the Savior of the world. In fact, in John one forty six, Philip tells Nathanael, hey, you need to come meet this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And what is Nathanael's response? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know what he's saying? Nazareth? Who comes from there? I don't even know where that is exactly. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Has anyone heard of Quail, Texas? Anybody? Quail? Yeah. first service, right? Yeah. Um, So (laughs) it's 100 miles east of Amarillo, population 19. 19 people live in Quail, Texas. And you know why it was named Quail, Texas? Because a bunch of quail hang out there. Yeah, it's very, very great name. All right, so uh, population 19, the town is made up of nine families. Their average income is $19,500 a year. Wow. So I'm just trying to give some modern day context. So when is the last time you heard of a great athlete coming out of Quail, Texas? Right? When's the last time you heard somebody stumping for president that says, I come from the great state of Texas, from the city of Quail? In fact, we would probably, because we don't know any of those 19 people. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Nobody famous has come from Quail. And so it's a fair question to go, can anything good come out of Quail? And that's kind of what Nathaniel says because Nazareth is not a place that would be known for famous, influential people to come out of. What a perfect place for the Messiah to be born. And so look at verse 27. Gabriel came to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we're getting a little, a, little, uh, a little idea of who the parents are, who they're to be. So there's a lot packed in here. Twice the word virgin is used in this verse. So what does that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Sheila, you never disappoint. All right. So, um, so why is this important? It's important because it was prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14. Look at what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel means God with us. So it's prophesied that the, the one who is to be the Messiah will be born of a virgin. So Luke makes sure that we know that twice in this verse, he says, listen, Gabriel came to a virgin and then he names the virgin and says the virgin's name is Mary. What does that sound like? Impossible. Right? How many times in our history, in your history, just since you've been alive, how many times have you heard of someone who is a virgin giving birth to a baby? Yeah, the next one will be the first, right? And, and so you think about that. This is impossible. It doesn't happen. Physiologically, it is impossible for a woman to give birth to a child without some things happening, right? It's impossible. A virgin teenager from a no-name town is going to birth the Savior of the world. That sounds at very least Implausible. And it says she was pledged to be married to a descendant of David, a man named Joseph. So uh, pledged, there was a word that they used in that culture. It was betrothed. And so there were three levels of relationship. So there was engagement, there was betrothal, and then there was marriage. And so engagement could actually take place in Jewish culture at age four or five. That at age four or five, two families would get together and they would say, hey, you have a good looking son, I have a good looking daughter, you want to make a deal? I mean, this is how it worked. And they would make arrangements for one day for their uh, son and daughter to be put together and be married. Teenagers, what if your parents did that to you, right? You're like, "Mm, yeah. So that's engagement. Engagement. But betrothal was taking it to a next step. Now, the husband-to-be would go off to kind of start a career and make a home for his future spouse so that they could live together. They're still living separately, but they're living really in close relationship. The only way to end betrothal, in fact, would be through divorce. And so think about that. You're not fully married, but the only way to end it is by divorcing that that you're betrothed to. And here's the kicker, if you're betrothed, the one thing that you have not done is consummate your marriage. So there's no sex involved in betrothal. So why is that important to this story? Well, you can't be a virgin if you're married. You can't be a virgin if you've had relations. And so Luke is making sure that we know they were seriously committed moving toward marriage, but not yet married. And then it says Joseph was a descendant of David. Is that important to the story? Yes. Yeah. The Messiah, it was known and understood and prophesied that, that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And so Luke says it, Matthew chapter one, it starts with a genealogy uh, of, of Jesus and it ends with Joseph. And so while Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, he is the adoptive father, thus fulfilling the prophecy. So why is it important that he was not the literal father? Because when we think about Adam, Adam sinned through Adam came sin to you and me and so uh, if, if, if Joseph had been the biological father sin would have entered in, original sin would have entered into Jesus yes. he needed to be perfect without sin in fact Second Corinthians 5.21 says he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be called the children of God yes, it's so good So the virgin's name was Mary, which means exalted one. So she's been exalted or highlighted. So there's been a spotlight put on Mary at this point. And the angel is coming, shining a spotlight on her and is about to deliver a message to her that is going to rock her world. Look at verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are what? Highly favored. Highly favored. So, one way that we could put that, you who are full of the grace of God, the grace of God is on your life, the favor of God is on your life. The Lord is with you. Yes. So, this is important to note there are certain streams of faith in our culture that. Uh, have, have taken this to believe that she was deity on some level, that she was a dispenser of the grace of God. No, no, no. She was a recipient of the grace of God, just like you and me through Jesus received the grace of God. And so uh, if you grew up in a culture where you prayed to Mary for her to answer your prayers, I just want you to know uh, Mary is just like you and me. She was a sinner in need of a savior. She was an imperfect human being, but she was given special favor by God because he needed to use someone to accomplish his plan. And God highlighted her. And he said, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. Is there any greater thing you could hear from God than you are highly favored? I'm with you. for some of you um, that would be maybe the longing of your heart and so many of us we equate our our heavenly father with our earthly father for some of you you didn't hear a whole lot growing up man you're my favorite I find so much I'm so proud of you hey I'm in this with you for some of you you feel like you were kind of left alone for some of you what you feel like God would say to you if he saw you today is, "Mm, I'm ashamed of you. Remember that thing you did yesterday? What were you thinking? You should be ashamed of yourself. For a lot of us, that's the voice that we assign to God, right? We assign to God that somehow we're less than, somehow we're not worthy. We look around other people in the room and we think, oh, God's really proud of them. But me, no. Know this. When God looks at you, you know what he says? Man, I have found favor in you. I'm crazy about you. I want to fill you with my grace. And I want you to know I'm with you. I want you to know I haven't forgotten you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Because maybe you feel just a little broken. A little forgotten. And you're hoping that someone or something is going to put the pieces back together. So remember this, she's a teenager. She's a teenager. So how many teenagers in the room? Raise your hand again. If you're teen- Okay, so teenagers, you need to hear this. Receive this today. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4:12. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. I mean, we could argue that there's no more important person in the Christmas narrative than Mary. And so if you're looking at your life and you think, hey, there's an age which I'll be able to be used by God and all of my teenage years are, are just kind of training ground, know this. You know when you're activated into the story of the gospel? When you say yes. There is literally no minimum age requirement in the kingdom of God. God uses every age to accomplish his purposes. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. That means for the 80 year old in the room, we're all younger than him. So every single one of us Receive the words of Paul. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. She's a teenager. And yet, God says, listen, I found favor with you. I am with you. And then he's going to tell her, this is what's about to happen. Uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. So she was troubled. That word there, uh, one of the definitions would be disoriented. She's disoriented for a couple of reasons. Number one, Mary knew Mary. She knew she wasn't perfect. So to hear God say, I'm, I, I am highly highly, you are highly favored in my eyes. I am with you. Man, for all of us, that's hard to hear sometimes, right? And you got to imagine that Mary's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm from Nazareth. Like nobody knows who I am. How could God possibly know who I am? He says, listen, I'm for you. I'm with you. So she's a little disoriented because of that. What's the second reason she was disoriented? Disoriented. It's a big honking angel. Remember, big angelic being now is standing there in her presence. And of course, what does he have to say? Don't be afraid. So, when angels say. Don't be afraid. So we see these two things. First of all, it's too good for her to believe on some level. And secondly, she's scared to death because of this angelic being. But he says a second time, you found favor with God. God's saying, I choose you. So imagine being a teenage girl, complete with everything that goes with it. I've raised three of them. The only word that I could come up with that kind of encapsulate all of it, drama, right? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking about? If you're a teenage girl, don't be offended. You come by it naturally. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I mean, just, just drama. I mean, I say am I uh, there's always somebody crying in my house. It's usually me, but, uh, you know, I mean, just, just man, teenage girls, uh, they, they can kind of be a little crazy sometimes, but think about this, 14, 15, 16, hormones raging, insecure, about to have to go live with a boy. Right? I mean, she's moving toward marriage as a 14, 15, 16-year-old. I mean, that's super young, so imagine uh, you're, 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 all these things are changing in your life. You're feeling completely insecure, and then an angel shows up and says, Hey, listen, got some news for you. Don't be afraid. She had to have had some kind of relationship with God to even be open to what's going on. But here's what I love. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is a picture of the gospel, that she's full of grace. She is full of the favor of God. Why? Because he placed it there. It's not because of her works. It nothing in here, like it told us that Zachariah and Elizabeth were devout and righteous followers of God. It doesn't tell us anything about Mary. She was a, she was a teenage girl and God found favor with her. And know this, in your darkest moment, God desires to fill you with his grace through the person of Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith, not of your works. And so if you're right now in your mind thinking there's some things that you need to do to make yourself more acceptable to God, know this, you will never be completely acceptable to God apart from Jesus. You don't have it in you. I hope... That is, disturbing and freeing all at the same time. Yes. Yes. I hope that it's like, "Oh, bang! I've been barking up the wrong tree," followed by, ah, thank you God, that you provide a way through Jesus. Yes. Yes. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Okay, so she's troubled. She's about to get more troubled. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Okay, no big deal. Hey, I know that you haven't done what married people do, but you're gonna conceive and give birth to a son. If she wasn't already freaked out, this would have done the trick, right? You're about to get pregnant, girl. This would have been... Unnerving to her. And then he is directly quoted Isaiah 7:14 here. Right? Therefore, the Lord will give him a son. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel, God with us. The word Jesus means Yahweh saves. Jehovah is salvation. So he's saying. You're going to give birth to a son who will save the world. Who will save the world. So basically, he's telling Mary she's going to be fulfilling prophecy and birthing the Messiah. So think about today. Today, young moms, I think if you're dreaming something for your kid, maybe you're dreaming that they will be the next president of the United States. That'd be pretty cool. Please. (laughs) Please. (laughs) You just... You just want to be in the White House, right? (laughs) Please. Yeah. Uh, Or or maybe the next great Nobel Prize winner. Maybe the next great athlete or the next great rock star, actor, actor. I mean, we have aspirations for our kids, right? And we will pay ridiculous money to try to get them there, right? And so we have dreams for our kids. In this culture, you know what a a mom's dream would be? Man, let the next great king of Israel come from me. In fact, let the Messiah come for me. In in their world, Messiah meant the next great king, the next great king, David, that's gonna lead us back into prosperity, that's gonna deliver us from the hands of the Roman, and we're gonna live in prosperity. And so that would be what you would dream as a mom. But this is so much more than that. Verse 32 He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So he will be great. Remember, Gabriel said that about John the baptizer as well. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. But this says he will be great and will be called Who? the Son of the Most High. What does that mean? He's gonna be called the Son of God. Think about hearing that. Think about Mary hearing that. You're gonna give birth to a son, name him Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation, and he will be called the Son of God. You will bear, you will carry and birth the Son of God. Will that freak you out? If that were you, so think about what it means to be a son. If you have, um, if you have a son, if you're a dad and you have a son, I don't have a son, but um, I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying. Uh, but uh, uh, if you have a son, you think about the son looks like and has characteristics of the father. So often, you can look at a dad and you can go, "Oh my gosh." You look just like him. Like me and my dad, we're roughly the same height. Um, We have the same color hair unfortunately, um, uh, and, and the older I get, the more I realize, man, I'm more like him. I thought I was a lot like my mom, but the older I get, I begin to act more like my dad in not the best ways. But, uh, uh, but we think about a son has the characteristics of the father. Hebrews 1.3 says this. It says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If we want to know the father, we look to the son. And here, uh, Mary is gonna give birth to this son who will be known as the son of God. And it says he'll be the next great king of Israel. He will sit on David's throne. That's exciting. Then it says he will reign over Jacob's descendants. So what that's saying there is that he will reign over the 12 tribes of Israel. That he will unify the kingdom. But it also says it will be a better kingdom. Why? It will be an eternal kingdom. It says this kingdom will never come to an end. So imagine that you're Mary. You're you're hearing this and you're like, wait. I'm going to give birth to the son of the most high who will be the next great king. But not just the king over Israel. An eternal king. I don't even know what all of that means. And so I love how she processes this. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? So this is different than the question Gabriel, asked, or the question that Zechariah asked Gabriel. See, Zachariah thought it was too good to be true and didn't really believe what Gabriel was saying and basically said, hey, that's too good to be, to be true. Give me a sign. Give me another sign. And so, remember, he was struck mute because of his disobedience, because of his unbelief. Mary's is different. Hers was not doubt. It was just a matter of function, right? She says, I'm a virgin, so how's this going to work? I don't understand. So she didn't say, how can this be true? But how is this going to happen? She's like, help me figure this out. So know this, today, sexuality in our culture is rampant. And not only do we make provision for, you know, teen moms that get pregnant, we've got a ministry called Journey Home that that helps teen moms that get pregnant. And so it's very common in our culture today, right? In fact, we celebrate it on MTV Right, we have, we have a show, Teen Moms. And I think it's called Teen Moms 2. Like there's a 2.0 of that. I don't understand it. But uh, we, we kind of hold it up and almost celebrate it in our culture today. Oh, sex just happens. So at least use protection of some kind. In this culture, if you get pregnant and you're not married, you could be stoned to death for it. You're gonna at very least be disparaged you're going to be an embarrassment in your culture. And so think about Mary. Now, she's thinking, I got to go tell Joseph I'm pregnant and it's not his child. And I'm expecting him to just kind of get this. Hey, an angel came to me. Gotcha. Right? I mean, think about that. I mean, this is a, this is a scandalous story. And so when she's saying, how is this going to happen? She's thinking, man, this could cost me my life. How's this going to work? Tell me more. This is my favorite verse in this passage. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. the Holy Spirit will come on you and overshadow you. Amen. That's powerful language. It's poetic. It's beautiful. But what does it mean? What does it mean that the, the, the Spirit of God will overshadow you? Well, we see biblical examples of it. It's this picture of the glory of God falling, surrounding, enveloping. If you remember that often Moses... The Shekinah glory would fall. Uh, We see specifically uh, at the end of Exodus in chapter 40, verse 34, it says, And the cloud covered the tent meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's this picture of the glory of God falling on a place, and it comes in a cloud, and they would enter into the cloud. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration talked about in the Gospels when Jesus takes his three uh, inner circle up on the mountain. And remember he meets with Moses and Elijah and it says that a cloud came down on them on that mountain. That is the glory of God is the overshadowing of the spirit that comes and falls and envelops. It's the promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When Jesus is leaving and he says, "Hey li- listen, I'm leaving, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive what? Power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth." What happened in Acts chapter 2? It says that a mighty rushing wind comes in and surrounds him and envelops him and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's Psalm 91. Verse one, this is whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Yes, Resting in the shadow of the Almighty. Yes. So what does it mean to be overshadowed by the Spirit? Well, so first of all, just know this. None of this happens without the presence of the Holy Spirit right? So when when the angel comes and tells Mary what's going to happen, no, it's the Holy Spirit that's the kingpin in making this happen. It doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. And know this, in your life, unless the Holy Spirit overshadows you, envelops you, comes on you, you will never accomplish what God has placed on your life to accomplish. You can't do it on your own. It doesn't happen. So look at it this way. The sun rises in the east. Where's your shadow? It's behind you, right? And so you have to turn and you have to stay in the shadow. And the sun, as it comes up and as it goes down in the west, what happens? Your shadow shifts, right? And so what you have to do is continue to move so that you stay in the shadow. And that's a picture of your life with the Holy Spirit. That wherever he goes, you stay in the shadow of his presence, it overshadows you. Now, when we hear the term overshadowed, we see it as a negative thing, right? We see this like, well, I don't want anybody overshadowing me. Maybe you've got middle child syndrome, right? And you feel like your whole life you've either been overshadowed by an older or younger sibling and you're stuck in the middle and you're like, what about me? I'm a peacock, I gotta fly, right? And you, you just you wanna jump out, you wanna be the hero of your story. Know this in our flesh, we all wanna be the hero right? We all want to be the one that makes the winning touchdown catch. We all want to be the one that's hoisted up and carried off the field. But here's the reality. In the kingdom of God, we have to be overshadowed in order to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish in us. Think about John, the one who baptizes. In John uh, chapters uh, 2 and 3, people keep coming out to him I'm sorry, in, in chapter one and then again in chapter three, uh, they keep coming to him saying, hey, listen, are you the Messiah? It's like, mm but he's coming. I'm preparing the way for him. Yeah. And then when he sees Jesus, what does he say in John 3.30? He must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. What's he saying? I need for him to overshadow me. This is not my story. And know this, if you want to be the hero of your story, knock yourself out. And here's what I want you to know, your story will not be very compelling. Some of you are like, well, you don't know me. (laughs) I don't need to. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's what we all have in common. As soon as you become the hero of your story, it's a very small story with the ceiling. But know this. Your ceiling in the kingdom of God is virtually unknowable when you are overshadowed by the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the activator of the life you've always wanted. For some of you, you need to hear that today because you've been knocking, knocking up against that ceiling over and over and over again, trying to matter. And the way to matter is to release your plan to God and say it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, overshadow me. And the minute you get to that point, he's got something to work with. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. Why do you think Gabriel let her in on that information? Hey, teenager, you're not alone. I know that you hear this, and this feels awesome. It feels overwhelming, and I want you to know you're not alone. In fact, your relative, you know the old one. She's six months along. She's gonna have a baby. What's he doing? He is inspiring her. He's increasing her faith. And we don't know what Elizabeth's, uh, what what her relationship is to Mary. She's probably a distant cousin or maybe a great aunt. It doesn't say that Mary knew her really well. But he's pushing her toward Elizabeth. Hey, y'all need to talk about this. Y'all should team up. Because there's something incredible going on. And he's increasing her faith saying she was barren. You knew that, right? And now she's six months pregnant. He's saying that as a precursor to what he's about to say. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Better translations say this, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's what he's saying to her when he's like, listen, your your relative who was barren is six months pregnant. I'm telling you that so you know whatever I've told you, you can take it to the bank. A promise made is a promise kept with God. He has sent me to you to proclaim to you what is about to happen. So just hang on. You're about to birth the Savior of the world. I can't even imagine. Nothing is impossible with God. So what do you need from God today that seems impossible? Maybe it's relational. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you have determined that fixing your marriage is impossible. I want to give you some hope. It is impossible. But in Christ, nothing is impossible. So maybe the thing you need to do is stop trying to fix your marriage and turn to Jesus. Maybe you're in a season where your grief is too much to bear. And you're like, I cannot imagine how I'm gonna get through this. Yeah, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Maybe you're in financial ruin. Maybe you're getting calls from debt collectors every other day. Maybe the IRS is after you. And you're like, man, I don't know how to get out of this. It's impossible. I'm in financial ruin. And God wants to say to you, yeah, I get it. Turn to me. Turn to me. I'm going to show you an unconventional way. Because what is impossible in the natural is possible in the supernatural. And what is the key ingredient? Being overshadowed by him. Getting out of the way, pushing him to the forefront so that you can stay in his shadow. And follow him and walk in obedience to whatever he tells you to do. He wants to take an unlikely or an impossible situation, breathe on it and breathe into life something that can change the world. So what does Mary do? I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. She just receives it. She commits to it. That takes faith, right? She did not question it. She's like, hey, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. May it be fulfilled. I'm moving forward with you. I'm moving forward with you. Let me say that one more time. I'm moving forward with you. You know what that takes? It takes faith. Hebrews eleven six say, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith. Amen. Because taking a step of faith means stepping into the unknown. We don't know if it was minute one after the angel makes that proclamation that a cloud fell on her and suddenly she was pregnant. We don't know if she went to sleep that night and woke up pregnant the next morning. We don't know exactly how it happened. We just know that she said, I receive it, I'm moving in it. Here we go. It was her yes that activated this incredible blessing. So here are three things I want you to think about as we close today. First, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing, there is nothing that is impossible with God. He loves stepping into impossible scenarios and doing extraordinary things. He's no respecter of age. He's no respecter of geography. He's no um, respecter of demographic. All he does is bless those who say, this is my impossible situation. How do you want to work? How do you want to work? Nothing is impossible with Him. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the activator of the extraordinary. The Holy Spirit is the activator of the extraordinary. You want to experience the impossible, you have to allow the Spirit to overshadow you. What do I mean by that? Jesus is not an add-on to your life. He did not come into your life just to make your life a little better. Right? So many times we live under the illusion that Jesus wants to make us a better version of ourselves. That is a natural byproduct. You will be better with Jesus, but it's not the point. The point is he wants to transform you. He wants to change you. He wants you to be all that he wants you to be. It's not just to make you a little better. He's not an add-on. He wants you to transform the way you think about yourself, about life, about the world. And he's the activator of the extraordinary. There is no ceiling to what God wants to do in and through your life. And it's right there at your fingertips. You just have to hide yourself in the shadow Of the Almighty. And number three, you must walk by faith to receive God's promise. Remember, she just said, Man, I'm your servant. She chose that. She chose that. She could have said no. She could have said, Ah, this is too crazy to believe. She said, Hey, listen, I'm your servant. You choose servanthood, you choose obedience. You choose to get in the secret place every day and allow God to transform your mind and your heart. You don't accidentally become holy. Do you realize that? You don't accidentally become holy. You don't accidentally become a person who is different and set apart. It's a daily decision you make when your feet hit the ground every day. You start your day by saying, Jesus, I want to be overshadowed by you. I only want to do what you tell me to do. I'm not going to go do things. For some of you, um, man, you've got this fervor and you're out doing a bunch of things. But sometimes we're doing things that are good things but not God things. How would we know the difference? It's in the secret place with Him. It's where we go, listen, God, I don't want to just do good things. I want to do whatever you tell me to do. Remember, Jesus only did what the Father told Him to do. He set that pace for us. But it takes a lot of faith, right? Faith to hold back when we need to hold back and faith to take that step when we need to take that step. And that is being servant-minded. Jesus is the king. God, I'm your servant.